Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Interactions, a podcast about law and religion and how they interact in the world around us. It's Monday, March 7th, and today we are considering the No Religious Test Clause in the U.S. Constitution in relation to the religious composition of our current Supreme Court. The No Religious Test Clause is the only reference to religion in the original Constitution before the addition of the First Amendment, and it stipulates that there can be no religious test of a candidate to determine whether they are suited to public office. In her article for Canopy Forum, M. Christian Green writes that the No Religious Test Clause is symbolic of America's commitment to religious tolerance. But how does this commitment to religious pluralism register in our current political sphere? Given the appointment of Justice Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, and the ensuing reality of a Supreme Court overwhelmingly dominated by a single religious tradition, Roman Catholicism. The No Religious Test Clause affirms that religion cannot be a metric for whether a candidate is allowed to occupy public office. But Green writes that the public has always been attuned to the religiosity of the Supreme Court judges, with religion being routinely commented on when nominees are under consideration. There is a key question central to understanding what is at stake, says Green. What role does or should religion play in the deliberations of judges, and should we care? All this and more on today's episode of Interactions. I'm Janet Metzger. The No Religious Test Clause within Article 6, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution is a special text in the field of law and religion, and especially within constitutional law of religion and state. The No Religious Test Clause follows immediately after the Oath or Affirmation Clause that requires members of Congress and the state legislatures, as well as all executive and judicial officers at both the federal and state levels, to be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. As such, the No Religious Test Clause states that no religious test shall ever be required as qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Though there are hints of religion in the clause on oaths and affirmations, given the widespread tradition of swearing oaths in the name of religion and with hands on religious scripture, the No Religious Test Clause is the only reference to religion in the original Constitution prior to the addition of the First Amendment religion clauses. The No Religious Test Clause was recently and prominently invoked in the 2017 confirmation hearing of the then University of Notre Dame law professor Amy Coney Barrett to a federal judicial appointment to the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. Famously, or infamously, depending on one's perspective, Senator Dianne Feinstein, hearing Barrett's testimony, proclaimed of Barrett, The dogma lives loudly in you. News accounts at the time focused on Barrett's traditionalist Catholic beliefs and membership in the charismatic Catholic group People of Praise. 
The implication was that Barrett was not only Catholic, but ultra-Catholic, and unable to separate the law from her religious beliefs. Attention swirled in 2017 around the particularity of Barrett's religious beliefs and the People of Praise group. But in the context of a Senate judicial confirmation hearing, attention turned, as it had in decades past, to what has typically been the most bright-line litmus test in assessing the religiosity of prospective judges, the issue of Roe v. Wade and abortion rights. In the 2017 hearing, Barrett largely avoided the question, responding to Senator Feinstein's dogma line of questioning only by observing that as her nomination was only to the appellate court level, she would not be in a position to be the final word on Roe. With her nomination to the Supreme Court, those facts changed. The No Religious Test Clause has become a stalwart sign of America's commitment to religious tolerance. It has been perceived as both unconstitutional and possibly reflective of animus or bigotry in the current legal jargon to ask questions of a judicial nominee's religion, even as the nation, while still overwhelmingly Christian, has become at least nominally and rhetorically more of a religious melting pot. Today, we more often encounter people of different faiths, both in our own communities and in the vast communicative medium of the Internet. We are, at least aspirationally, in America, a nation that is both religiously plural and religiously tolerant. In that context, and with Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation to the Supreme Court, the reality of a court overwhelmingly dominated by a single religious tradition, Roman Catholicism, is especially striking. With Justice Barrett's confirmation, we now have a court on which seven out of nine justices are Catholic. Justice Gorsuch is Episcopalian and is said to have a private faith but was raised Catholic and educated in Catholic schools. Historically, Episcopalians have dominated the court, representing 33 of the total 114 judges since its inception, followed by 18 Presbyterians, 9 Unitarians, 5 Methodists, 3 Baptists, and a sprinkling of other Protestant Christians. More recently, there have been 14 Catholics and 8 Jews, which has been described as a triumph over previous eras of discrimination, when Catholics and Jews were routinely barred from the legal profession at the most prominent firms, not to mention from judicial positions. The rise of Catholic and Jewish judges has been described as a particular triumph for the legal profession, which, outside the white shoe firms, embraced religious diversity earlier than other sectors of society thus generating a long and deep pipeline of Catholic and Jewish lawyers that continues to the present day. By contrast to earlier periods in which the Supreme Court was entirely Protestant, the Court has been entirely without Protestants, except for Gorsuch, since 2010. Indeed, one of the most interesting things about the religiosity of Supreme Court justices is that we keep such close tabs on the religion of SCOTUS nominees, even with the specter of the No Religious Test Clause looming in the background. Religion is routinely commented upon when nominees are put forth for nomination, 
and questions are asked on natural law, abortion, the death penalty, and other issues that seem clearly designed to smoke out the nominee's religious views. This kabuki dance around our interest in the nominee's faith commitments routinely occurs, and yet it prescinds from and obscures a key question that seems central to understanding what is at stake. What role does or should religion play in the deliberations of judges, and should we care? After all, there exists within the field of Law and Religion Academy a considerable literature not only arguing the question of whether religion is a special or distinctive freedom, but also on religion and the legal profession, and how religious judges and lawyers should balance their faith commitments, oaths of office, and professional responsibilities. So, it would appear that religion matters for purposes of law and judging, but how? We'll answer that question right after the break. Hi, Interactions listeners. This is Justin Latterell at the Center for the Study of Law and Religion. If you like this episode and want to learn more about the interactions of law and religion around the world, check out the link to our book brochure in the podcast description. There you'll find over 40 new titles like God and the Illegal Alien by Robert Heimberger and Michael Perry's new book on human rights, democracy, and constitutionalism. Each title includes a short description and a link to buy the book online. Thanks for listening to Interactions. There is some debate over whether the religion of Supreme Court justices does or does not correlate with the actual decisions and opinions and their interpretation of the text, history, and application of the Constitution. But some of the Court's recent decisions suggest that religion may factor into a judge's opinion in significant ways. Take, for example, the Court's recent decision on religious freedom, Espinoza v. Montana Department of Revenue, wherein Justice Alito devoted a significant portion of his concurring opinion detailing a history of religious bigotry against Catholics in America going back prior to the era of the Blaine Amendments forbidding taxpayer funding of sectarian schools to the earlier establishment of public schools under the initiative of leading educational reformer Horace Mann, an era in which, as Justice Alito notes, Catholic students were subjected in schools to daily readings from the King James Bible. Distinguishing various versions of the Bible might not have been on the forefront of the mind of a Protestant jurist, but for Catholic jurists aware of the history of their faith in America, it was a salient point, and one that clearly still stings of animus and bigotry even for Supreme Court justices, despite the notable progress of Catholics in the American public and judicial sphere. Justice Alito complained even more recently of bigotry toward religion in a notable speech to the Federalist Society. Interestingly, in the other summer of 2020 religious freedom decision, Our Lady of Guadalupe School v. Morrissey Baru, liberal Catholic Justice Sonia Sotomayor, joined by Justice Ginsburg in dissent, 
turning the tables on the emerging animus doctrine, argued that the court absolved religious institutions of any animus and embraced a ministerial exception that even condones animus, an exception that allowed them to fire their employees for bigoted reasons in violation of the spirit of their faith and equally offensive to the letter of the law. The recent Supreme Court decision in Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn v. Cuomo lifting an injunction on COVID restrictions on religious gathering in New York that seemed to disproportionately impinge on the religious freedom of Jewish and Catholic groups, also addressed accusations of animus and bigotry against religion said to have been manifest in certain pronouncements of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Indeed, the per curiam decision of the court, thought by some to have been authored by Justice Barrett herself, specifically mentions a variety of remarks made by the governor, and the lower court dissents mention that statements made in connection with the challenged rules can be viewed as targeting the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community before proceeding with the rest of the decision, even if we put those comments aside. Are religious justices who are members of faith traditions that have endured bona fide bigotry in the past more likely to sense bigotry and animus toward faith today? It is hard to say. The Court's Jewish members are, no doubt, highly cognizant of the anti-Semitism that has filtered into societies around the world and, by many accounts, is rising today. But even if the Constitution forbids religious tests for office, we may want to be attuned to how religious formation and histories or actual experiences of religious bigotry against justice's faith may shape their opinions. It may be the case that those who have experienced bigotry may be more sensitive to it than those who have not, but even they may perceive through a glass darkly and without the requisite discrimination the injustices affecting others. In the 2013 case of Shelby County v. Holder, widely seen as gutting key provisions of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the Catholic Chief Justice John Roberts demonstrated a notable capacity to set aside decades, if not centuries, of racial bigotry and injustice, specifically in the form of voter discrimination. Nearly 50 years later, things have changed dramatically, Justice Roberts proclaimed, adding later in the opinion, the 15th Amendment is not designed to punish for the past. Its purpose is to ensure a better future. Whereas past religious bigotry may live on in the minds of some justices, some have described members of the court as in the grips of a grievance conservatism, past racial bigotry may not have the same salience, even if it continues to be experienced today. As I explored in a past Canopy Forum essay, we are all shaped by our prejudices and in our philosophical perspectives, even as we seek to overcome them. But we should also be entitled to ask questions and receive answers about the prejudices in the philosophical sense of the politicians and judges who govern us, even where, and some might say especially where, those perspectives are informed by religion.
That was Religious Tests, Religious Freedom, and Animus and Bigotry at the Supreme Court by M. Christian Green. You can find the full article on Canopy Forum by following the link in the episode description. Canopy Forum and the Interactions podcast are distributed by the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University and produced by Anna Knudsen and Ethan Anthony. I am your narrator, Janet Metzger. You can follow Canopy Forum on Twitter or Facebook and subscribe to Interactions on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening.